Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Lamella this time with the corner. It's not a bad one as well. It's away and it's in and it's in again. Talk about the variety of goals that this lad scores. But these ones are my favourite. If you want to score 30 goals a year, then these are the ones you have to be knocking in week in, week out. Again, flick on Ospina, paddles it into a dangerous area. And who's loitering? Who's the only person on the move? It's Harry Kane. He's got that instinctive knack of getting in the right place at the right time. And that's why he bangs in goals. Bentele in towards Harry Kane who picks out the corner brilliantly. What a goal from the man of the moment, Harry Kane. Well, I can barely tell you, Darren, how hard a skill that is. What a phenomenal header that is. It's a fantastic ball coming in again from the left-hand side from Tottenham. But some people have just got this skill. Backpedalling, you can jump, you can hang, and then you can head it back where it's come from, into the far corner. Keeper, no chance whatsoever. This is just phenomenal technique. It's such a hard skill. Look at that, eyes on the ball all the way. Heading it back where it's come from, looping it into the far corner with power. There's not many players that can do that, Darren. What a phenomenal young man that lad, that lad is. Ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Roll the Roost podcast. Um, I hope everyone's had a good weekend, a great, great week last week. Um, I'm joined this week by Mr. Raj Baines. Hello, Raj, how are you doing? I'm all right, to be honest. Um, just, uh, just average. Yeah, no, it's all right, isn't it? Uh, also, we've we, we've got Mr. Seb Stafford Bro. How are you doing, Seb? I'm good now. I've spent a lot of time on Arsenal Fan TV over the last few days. It's oh, have you? What? Is yeah, there any. Yeah. any any particular reason? It's just been, I don't know, just uh, it, it's been like looking at ourselves, but a few years ago, it's been wonderful. It's just been so much uncontrolled misery outside White Hart Lane, but in red rather than white. No! Oh, God, I just have to accept, I can't do this. 
just I'm still absolutely buzzing. What God, I've never ever seen anything like it in my life. Just Harry Kane. Nabil Bentaleb to Harry Kane. Just it it oh take it away from me, guys, please. I can't, I can't I'm struggling to form sentences around this one at the moment. I remember when you you texted us that night and you're like, Oh, I'm still buzzing now and I'm still yeah. right happy. And I text you back and I was like, yeah, I know what you mean. I, I look like I've slept with a coat hanger in my mouth. I've not stopped smiling all day. <laughs> um, it's just one of those where it does put a spring in your step. It's very strange. Um, even now, still today, I went in like into town and stuff and, and got on with my day and I was still so happy. And when you see the odd the random person walking past in an Arsenal shirt and you just have a grin to yourself and you just sort of know what's happened and, and how it's happened and... It's just such a, a good feeling. It's um, it's fantastic. I mean, um, I don't know, I don't know how you feel, Seb, but um, I imagine it's much the same. I tell you what, mate. I um, for the first time, I actually text Jack to tell him this. Um, for the first time in about twenty years, I got up to watch the match of the day repeat on um, <laughs> on Sunday morning at, at God knows what o'clock. But I was up. I just thought it was like being a child again. You know, when you're you um. You, you can't quite stay up in time to get to match the day, so you bang the VHS in, which, God, I've just accidentally dated myself there. Um, you just have like, to max, mate. <laughs> I mean, yeah, not quite that old, no. But you, um, because no one could ever work out how to actually do that automatic record thing with the code in the Radio Times, you'd have to wait, stay out, put it in, and, and manually press record, and then come down in the morning and watch it. But, um, yeah, I woke up on Sunday morning and just um, I thought, you know what, I'm going to watch it again. And it was just, I've, um, I don't think I've ever been prouder, actually. Even, um, even, even in that, you know, the, the, the city game up at the Etihad a few years ago when we qualified for the Champions League. Was, everything about that game was just, it was, it was just wonderful. It, just the level of commitment. You know, all the, you can analyse all the passages of play and, and the individual performances, but every player on the pitch played well. And, um, and even the Arsenal fans, I said I was, I, was, well, I was messing about on Arsenal fan TV and I was only half joking. And almost all of the, the guys that um, that came on were, were you know, apart from the, the usual freaks, <laughs> yeah. well, you know, they, 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 they openly said that, you know, we quite obviously deserved it. And to hear that, it's just magical. It's great. Absolutely. Yeah, to be honest, loads of my mates that support Arsenal, they haven't even, yeah, usually after these kind of results, so like, you know, when we beat them 3-2 at the Emirates and like the the 5-2 at home in the in the, uh, well, the then Carling Cup semi, there were always these kind of ifs and buts and so on and so forth. But to be honest, most of it has been Arsenal fans just saying, you know what, well done Spurs. Like, it, you deserved it. You are absolutely amazing. And I think... What what stood out for me, and we it was almost a bit a bit cringy for Arsenal in a way. Like given that they're this club that you know we, we can't take away from them the fact that they they have you know at times. Oh God, I've got to choose my words very carefully, but they've they've, <laughs> they've played football in a way that Spurs would very much like to play you know they, they, they've they they've really wowed the Premier League with some of their performance some of those great kind of Arsenal teams in the early to mid Premier League years when they've you know like the Invincibles and all this kind of stuff when they have played that silky passing fantastic football 
and how they've they've kind of had that snobbishness about the likes of you know Jose Mourinho, the way he plays and the way he sets up to whatever defend and attack on the counter and and seeing them kind of reduced to that against us, it, 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 it you know I don't know it was it was kind of like mortified for you guys, you know you 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 really you're not even going to give us a game at the North London derby. You're going to put. You're going to put nine men behind the ball and just keep Oliver yeah. Giroud up front, play like Bolton or Stoke, really? You know that's, that's... not new though, Jack. That's that's been well, happening. I mean, in a North London derby. No, it's saying. not. It's happened for the past couple of games. Um, when they beat us one nil under AVB at the start of last season, he was made. Yeah, he, he made fair. three defensive substitutions from about sixty minutes onwards, and they spent the the large part of that second half sat in their own their own box essentially and, and just batting it out against from us. They've they've paid us and I said this on the show before and they've they've been paying us a lot more respect over the past few seasons than they ever have done before in my in my lifetime. But but that seems weird though because like in the years when we had like Bale, Modric, etc, Van der Vaart it's almost like they were more up for a game, you know. It was kind of like they were more up for going toe to toe, for want of a better expression. But to do that, like in our in our last couple of incarnations, even you know, as much as we we love the team and we love the spirit that we have at the moment, you know, I I, I don't think on paper this is as strong as our Champions League team just yet, anyway. Um, but the fact that they would act so defensive, I don't know. I just it felt it felt quite embarrassing. I'm, I. Not that I'm objecting. I think it's it's fucking brilliant. Um, you know, what it's really, you know, what it's really so, yeah. actually, I um, the thing that struck me about that game was that even when we went one 0 down, um, I didn't really ever think. You know, when that that happens in a derby before, so we, you know, the amount of times we've gone ahead, especially at White Hart Lane, there's always been a sort of air, air of inevitability about what's going to happen next, and that's such a Tottenham trait to sit there and kind of collapse behind the ball and think, right, well, we'll, we'll just wait for something to go wrong or we'll, we'll put nine men behind the ball and hope their creativity can't hurt us. And on Saturday, it was complete opposite. It was like a role reverse. It was Arsenal playing like a Tottenham team would have done a couple of years ago with that sort of, with a, a really obvious inferiority. It was, it was such a straight, it was wonderful, but it was still very strange to see. And there was just, how many times in your lifetime, can you remember North London Derby where you actually expected, not pre-game, but actually during the game, you fully expected us to go and win it eventually? That's one of the first times I can remember that. And it was just, it was a really special place to be for a Tottenham fan. I think before we completely wax lyrical about Spurs <laughs> and we, we pick out some of our outstanding performance, I just want to like, you know, dig the knife a little bit more into them. I mean, one thing that stood out for me about Arsenal and... Uh, Again, I, I don't want to like make it this whole kind of like, oh, you know, let's just all jump on Ozil because it's fun to do. But for me, Ozil, the likes of Ozil and Cazola, to be fair, that's kind of, that's supposed to be their creative outlet, right? And for them, it just it was just so abundantly clear that they were lacking any sort of ideas. And I, I think, I know there is this, you know, it's quite fun to do this whole like, oh, Ericsson or Ozil, who's better? Even though Ericsson obviously is, you know, performing at a much higher level than Ozil is. And that's, I, I don't even think that's a blinkered Tottenham fan thing to say. It's abundantly clear that he is. Because Ozil in that game, past the goal, he just he just offered absolutely nothing. There was, there was no invention to their play. There was not, I, I mean, I think that's 
hugely down to the hard work that we put in and the fact that we approached the game so aggressively and we you know we harried them and we pressed magnificently but at the same time from from their part i think the, there was quite a lot going wrong on their side and what stood out for me like i say was just their their lack of invention that there was there was there was just no there was no desire there i don't it was, know it was naivety i believe on their part and it's something that over the past few years, especially in the, the fallow seasons under Wenger that they've had in the past 10 years, it's something that's been creeping more and more into this side. They, even though they've got all these signs ahead of them of what exactly they're going to be facing, what they're going to be coming up against, they never seem to be fully prepared. And the only thing that, that's really stood against that recently is when they, they've beaten Manchester City. Um, but I, I personally believe that was more to do with how bad City were Mm. How good, yeah. good Arsenal win. And again, that's not a Tottenham perspective. That's a Manchester City are in a, a very bad position at the moment. And while it was a great result for them, I don't think it was the the turning point that perhaps the media had treated it to be. Um, and the, the fact that we were pressing them, the fact that we looked, you know, those those buzzwords, you know, hungrier and, and wanting it more. The fact that that was the case and was going to be abundantly case before the game was even played, they looked shocked by that and they shouldn't have been. Um, they should have known that that's what they were going to get out of that lead. We relied on that for, you know, for the last sort of 10 or so games. We were just so obviously athletically superior. It was, um, yeah, I, I, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. It's just, it, it, it's, it's quite right. It's just, um, it's as if no one quite did their homework on what we were going to be. Uh, exactly, which is which is really strange. If they, if they look at the the best example of that before that match, which was the Chelsea one, it was almost a, a similar sort of game plan and similar sort of intent throughout the side and and similar sort of desire to perform for one another in both matches that has led us led us to success. And the fact that they haven't even gone gone back far enough to see that one at the turn of the year and and expect that much was was probably the most damning thing on their behalf. Um, but I, I, I wouldn't want us to take anything away from us whatsoever because we we were outstanding and we we dominated that game through sheer belief and determination and ability and that has a lot to do with the work that Pochettino has been doing over the season. What he's attempting is to turn us into is 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 starting to shine through and you know it's it's a perfect blend of. You know the sort of tactical flexibility that somebody like AVB was trying to introduce, and the mental rigidity that is sort of the staple of the the Red Nap and Sherwood type manager. He's almost found a perfect concoction of that, and through obviously being quite personable with the the players and forging good relationships, sorting the week from the chaff, and and finding out which players are going to be able to perform for him and which ones aren't and and sort of doing what is a season's work in almost half a season which is quite remarkable he's he's put us on a on a much higher course in a much quicker time frame than I think anybody was really expecting and I think that's reflected in uh, Ricky from the fighting cock asked there's a question about 5 minutes ago on on, on Twitter about um if whether or not, quite tongue in cheek, I believe, whether or not we still wanted Harry Kane to to be rested <laughs> and not and not play as much and be protected, but that is that's a, a mind frame that I thought we were going to be in for an entire season, and the fact that he has blossomed in a similar sort of way that Pochettino has as a manager while he's been in charge at Tottenham 
is just it just is a showing that his gestation period to become a success at the club was so much shorter than any of us had any it really envisaged. I mean, it's not a bad thing. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna pretend that I want Harry Kane to be rested. I'm not gonna pretend that I thought uh, Pochettino was gonna turn it around as quickly as he has done. But it's such a such a good showing for what is to come under him if he is to be backed in the same manner that he has been and, and the board to be fair to them seem to be you know whistling along to the same tune if the January window is anything to go by because they were getting rid of the players who aren't playing rather than doing anything that was that seemed um, contrary to what the manager would want I think it's also important to point out Ricky you little turd the fact that you know, we were never kind of doubting Kane's ability. It was never a fact that you know we we don't oh, want was. him to be on the pitch. I was. I, was. Oh. I, was. I mean, I I, I have to admit that I, I there was never a point when I prior to this season where I ever thought he could be the fact that he is now ever. No, no. I I just mean more so like because we're talking what like six seven games ago that oh, know, that, we, okay. that we were saying that you know. We should be not including him week in, week out. And I think this oh, is yeah, what Rick yeah. is referring to. Oh. Um, and it's not so much that we ever thought, oh, no, we don't want him playing week in, week out because we don't think he's up to it. It's more that, you know, we're really excited by his promise and we don't want him to burn out. We don't want him to become that Andros Townsend type figure that, it, it, you know, gets so overhyped by the media and just bottles under the pressure. But you have to hand it to, to Harry Kane because. But that is, he seems at to the thrive moment, he's, that pressure, though. Uh, he's, he seems he's to just, really enjoy being that focal point and having the kind of responsibility on his shoulders. And he's absolutely was, sensational. Yeah, it really is. I, I, the one thing that, one concern that I had probably about six or seven weeks ago was that we had that initial surge of enthusiasm for him coming to the team from the crowd. Everyone was behind him. Everyone forgave any mistake he made on the ball or you know, any, um, any poor decision. And I was just a little concerned as to what would happen as and when that ebbed away, when, you know, results maybe went a little bit sour, he lost his novelty, and the crowd started to treat him maybe like just another player. Um, but that hasn't happened, but he hasn't allowed it to happen because he's played so consistently well. Um, but he's, you know, he, he's taken, not only has he taken his opportunity as a player, but he's taken it emotionally as a, as a man as well. Um, and he's played like someone who's been in the league for, for five or six seasons rather than someone who's really, you know, having his, his first full Premier League year which is it's an amazing thing I can't I can't think of a, a parallel during the Premier League era really that, that fits it it's quite amazing it's yeah it, it is I was, I was talking to Windy uh, Chris Miller about this just today actually um, and I was I was struggling to think of another example of a player that's had such a, a, a freakish kind of rise to prominence in, in the respect that you know, I was because I was saying to Chris essentially, like, you know, I know you'd always predicted that he was going to be a, a first team regular, and that you know he might get into the England team, so on and so forth. But you know, did you actually really ever foresee him being at this kind of level that he's at now? Surely this is unfathomable. And Chris was like, well, you know, obviously, you know, Wendy, Wendy didn't want to like have reveal any kind of chinks in his armor, but he said, you know, it's not unfathomable, but at the same time, it is surprising just the level he is playing at at the moment. And it, yeah. he, I don't know, it's I, 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 
The only thing I'm I'm worried about, and I, I I don't want to put any caveats onto the way Kane is playing because he doesn't deserve them. You know, the guy is. It's not just the fact that he's he's getting the odd lucky goal or something like that that you might kind of attest to someone like Michael Ricketts of years gone by, so on and so forth. Yeah, <laughs> Kane, is, Kane is... Yeah, but do, do you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. you've got to have this almost it's, in the back of your mind a worry that he's, you know, please don't let him be a Marcus Stewart, uh, you know, a, a, a Michu, someone like that, you know. it's. But it doesn't feel like it is. It feels like he is a guy who is... He's, he's, he's operating at this level because... Not only does he have ability, he is he's just got such desire and he has I don't know, it's the one thing I would say, um and not not any means a negative whatsoever, it's it's a positive and it's a, a knock on effect of how well he's been playing is if you look at the, the last player we had who sort of nationally got that much press would be Gareth Bale. And in his first wind as an as a, as an excellent player um, in around that Champions League season and just before and he started after that to get double marked and he took a little bit of time to get used to it um, before he was moved over into the centre and he started to get a little more attention people looking for him a bit more you know people accused him of being a half a season pony and he only had you know whipped and pace were his only real ass, uh, um attributes and he had to really work on his game and overcome that so that he had to give the defence and, and teams and opposition managers something else to think about and that is going to be something that's going to happen to Kane more and more now there are going to be more and more defences targeting him they're going to be you know looking to rough him up a bit trying to double mark him as they did Bale and and giving him special attention and the next challenge for him is to overcome that and to push himself as a player because yeah Nobody's saying he's complete yet, and that would be an absurd thing to say at the age he is. The fact that he's as good as he is at the age he is, 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 as we've said, quite remarkable. So if he's able to take that next step now and push himself to an even higher level of player over the next few seasons, because, again, it's not going to happen overnight to become that extra level of footballer. It's, it takes something more, and it's going to take a bit of time as well with his age, because I think he's going to... He's going to fill out a bit more. He's going to bulk up a bit more, which will help him because he's not a small lad by any ch- um, by any means. He's you know he's got the right sort of build for it, but he's still going to have to you know mature somewhat because he's, um, he's he's not of age yet. Um, and when that happens, we'll we'll see the very best player he could be because I don't think he's he's there yet, which is fantastic news because I think we if we, if we could take him at his current stage for the rest of his career, I think he'd probably take that with both hands. But knowing that in a few years, perhaps he could become even more than that and, and add even more to his game would, would be absolutely exceptional. And, and that's what I'm really looking forward to, seeing him blossom now. You know, Do you think we have to attribute a lot of this to because... I know we've kind of touched on him briefly, but I think we have to attribute much of Kane's progression to Pochettino because we, we've we've noted in the past that Kane was a player that Pochettino identified during his time at Southampton and very much wanted to bring down yeah. to St Mary's. Um, it, it, like we saw with Bale and AVB in the past, do you think Kane probably is a bit of a pet project for Pochettino? Um. I don't know about Pep Project. I certainly see sort of I certainly see Pochettino's influence on him because Kane, Kane when he came into the, into the team last season, he did play quite well. But 
in a different way, and that's why that's what irritates me. Whenever I read a Tim Sherrod column, which oh. uh, which features him basically taking ownership of of Kane and Mason and Bentaleb, and you just think, yeah, okay, you put them in the team, but the difference between Kane now and then is he's he just looks like a better all round player. I mean, supposedly from everything I've heard from again Chris Miller and anybody else who who keeps an eye on on youth team football. Um, he's always been a very good finisher, and he's always been very dedicated to improving his finishing. But this season, he seems like a much better athlete. Um, and when you see that, and when you see how that matches up with the, the general kind of conditioning improvement throughout the rest of the team, that has to be something that you, you tie to Pochettino. Um, and, and ultimately, look, when, 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 a, when a player performs with as much confidence as Kane is, that has to be management, because that is, that, that's, you know, that's a... Um, that's 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 the effect of the environment that's being created around him, and, and yeah, I, um, I I wouldn't go this far, as far as say pet project because Pochettino will look to get out of any player he can, but that that's um, yeah, quite obviously a um, a trait that he's installed into him. So I I I will hold my hands up and say that De Boer was always my choice, um, yeah. and I I was pretty sceptical of. When we when we brought Pochettino in, more so because I I saw his style and his ethos very similar to that of AVB, which had just failed several months previously. Well, failed is up for debate, but I don't want to be start that, start that one off again. Be um, dirty traitor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> actually, this would be, I'd be quite interested to to hear the the thoughts of you two guys actually very quickly. Um, about the system that Pochettino is employing in comparison to that of AVB. Because to me, I, I, I don't see their playing styles as miles apart, or at least, you know, the, the, what AVB wanted to achieve with Tottenham isn't miles away from what Pochettino is currently doing with Spurs. To me, it seems more like it's AVB's personality and perhaps you know, whispers of ego, so on and so forth, that let him down more so than the football, which, you know, never really got taken up for whatever, the players not buying into this philosophy, so on and so forth, as we saw in the early days with Pochettino, although it seems to be the fact that it's his personality that's actually managed to turn it around and get people to buy into it. Is 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 there a similarity between their styles and what they were to achieve, do you think? The way in which I'd explain it, I'd look to explain it is if you were, if you if you looked at them both as sort of builders, they'd both build the same building with the same foundations. But when it came to the building part of it and the sort of architecture behind it, they'd be completely different. So what I mean by that is the foundation of their tactics in terms of a four-two-three-one is almost identical. The, the the base positions of the players, where they look to operate within the the, the field of play, where they look to sit, and where they look to. Um, occupy in both in defence and attack is very similar but what they do in terms of their game plan is entirely different um, AVB was much more possession based much more about dominance both physically and um, strangling the other team essentially just wanting to, to beat them into submission whereas Pochettino's a lot more his game's a bit faster than that he wants to press more it's a lot more high energy um, the the thing that was often labelled at AVB was that it was a boring game of football because he didn't necessarily require too much pace within his game from his players it was all about the movement of the ball 
whereas Pochettino is a lot more about the movement of the players. So it's it's essentially the the base of of what they try to do is similar, but the way in which they express themselves within that within that sort of area is um, couldn't be much more different. To be honest, it, it'd be quite interesting to see two of their teams play against each other. I can't can't remember whether or not they did in the Premier League or not. Um, they must have done at some point, but um, I'd. I'd if you could take AVB's Tottenham with Bale in it and play them against Pochettino's Tottenham of this season, I, I think that would be quite a, an interesting interesting experiment. Ooh, tasty game. Right, have you got anything to add on to that one? So? Uh, no, I like, I like Roger's analogy about the building because I think that's spot on. I think the one where I'd add, in my own analogy, is if you were robbing a house, then AVB is very much the kind of guy that's going to try and... He's going to sneak around the house after dark and try and crawl through a window, whereas Pochettino is just going to come bursting through the door, knock you out, and steal your TV. It's very much. It's kind of. It's his football is is. I don't want to say more obvious, but it's less sneaky. I don't. Villas Boas wanted, like where I said, possession-based football with the aim of identifying a weakness over the course of a game and exploiting it. Whereas Pochettino lays out what he has tries to dominate an opposition physically and force the issue much more, more pace, uh, more... It's just more aggressive in every way. Um, and it's... Yeah, I mean, that... that, that but it, it is. It's, it's a, a... Because the product is so different, it is tempting to believe that, that everything to do with those two, those two coaches is opposing. But, but Roger's right. They're, they're built from similar elements. It's just a, a slightly different finish. I think I think for me as well one of the things I'd note, and it's it's not to cast any like sweeping aspersions over someone who are, I don't actually know personally, um, obviously. But the thing with AVB is it, it it always seemed as much as I was very much on his side, and you would be supportive of him because you you could quite clearly see the agenda of certain media types like Neil Ashton, like Martin Samuel, so on and so forth, and the way they would lay into him. Is it, and maybe this ultimately comes down to the the fact that AVB was never a, a professional footballer; that he was probably quite an introverted young man. If you if you follow his career path and you see the way in which he he entered the footballing world, you know he he was, you know, a guy that was probably very much focused on it, but was whatever a geek or something yeah. for want of a better expression. And, and so he, you know, he didn't really have a very thick skin. You could see that whenever people like Neil Ashton and so on and so forth, they, they almost targeted him because they knew they could get golden content out of him. They knew, all right, if we poke him, he's going to react. And, and you saw that and you felt for him. You did feel for AVB because it was like, you know, these guys are just, they are essentially bullying him. They're, they're picking on him because they know that he is going to react in a certain way. And it was horrible to see that. It was, and that's, that's personally, that's one of the reasons why I really, really dislike people like Neil Ashton. I really, I really fucking dislike that man because I think, you know, you, you make a personal choice at some point to act in that way you know you can say i'm doing this for my career i'm doing this for that but the way in which he he really targeted boas when he knew there was a guy with a whatever not even a personality flaw there but who was kind of vulnerable and the way he targeted him was was quite despicable in my opinion and it's whatever maybe you you can argue that whatever you know he's in the public eye so boas should have been should have been prepared for that and should have dealt with it. 
But when you look at Pochettino and you look at his candor with the press and you see that people have tried to approach him in that way, they've they thought again, you know, this is another if we're to, I don't know, to, to speculate, it's another young foreign manager, whatever, you know, it's, it's Argentina. We can, we can again have, have a little dig at him and see how he reacts. Pochettino, he's so self-assured. He, he doesn't give a fuck. You know, when people try and, I think you, you mentioned it the other week, Raj, when, when that, when one of the reporters tried to kind of like mug off his record at Espanol, he was just like, you're wrong. You, you're getting your facts from Wikipedia. You know that's just wrong. Do you want to? Do you want to check again? Do you want to try and do your job properly and then come back to me and just laughs it off? He just shrugs it off and I, I just, it, I, I don't know. He just, he just, he uses so much more confidence than Boas ever did. Um, and yeah, I just, I think the the team is benefiting as a result of that. And I, I, he's, he just. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but I think he's he's a really good thing for Tottenham, and he's he seems to be moving us along a lot faster than our podcast currently is. <laughs> so, if we're to not just wax lyrical about Harry Kane for the whole podcast, as tempting as that is to do, who else stood out for you guys in the, in in the Arsenal game? Can we not do another ten minutes on Neil Ashton? <laughs> But if you want to, if you please be my guest, no, no, everyone's, no. everyone's going to be quiet after after I kind of laid into the action. But it, it's something I feel quite pers- pers- personally vested in. I really don't like the man. No, well, my first ever rule the roost, um, Raj and I talked about this, and, and um, I've got that out of my system. So I'll leave that. But um, I thought Neville Bentaleb was brilliant. I thought um, he's the guy that's kind of been lost in the shuffle from that game. But uh, and And sort of... Because he's he's a homegrown player, but he's not quite Ryan Mason, and he's not an English homegrown player. But I, I thought that um, I know there are still gaps in his game, and, and there are still sort of flecks of naivety here and there. But he was um, he was as assured in both directions as I've seen him. And it's not really a coincidence that the two best performances this month, being Chelsea and Arsenal, and they've both included Bentaleb. He just he's he's the perfect I know our, our, our midfield combination that Mason Ventlab access is imperfect at the moment, but they are they're, they're, there's a natural chemistry there. And Bentlab just his defensive work is improving, there's distribution in a he doesn't just knock the ball sideways. He's willing to take on a slightly slightly harder pass, slightly lower percentage um, option, and it gives us so much more pace going forward. It's just I think he's I, I understand, and I, I'm also you know, excited by Kane. I think he's great, and I, I love watching Mason. But Bentaleb's the one, I think, who's, who's the most polished out of all of them. Because um, I, I, I put to you two guys I, in, uh, in our WhatsApp group, our production meetings, as, as Raj yeah, likes to They're very professional. They are, they are very <laughs> professional. <laughs> in no way bitching about people on football Twitter at all. No, um, anyway... Uh, Nabil Ventaleb, I, I think I posed the question to, to you guys because I'd been pretty scathing of him in the past and I've, I've made fun of myself on Twitter for this um, because I kind of saw him as a bit of a Livermore level player um, previously. And I put to you guys, you know, is he, a, is he a, a Champions League level footballer? Not now, but in the future, does he have that potential to be a Champions League level footballer and I believe you both were like yeah he probably does now I mean do, do you still both think that Raj I mean what, what, what are your thoughts on Ben Taleb at the moment 
I'd agree with Seb. I think he probably is long term the best prospect out of the three young lads. Um, he's got an appreciation for space yeah. and for for movement that is innate, and it's not something you can teach. And it's something that, again, I'm, I'm not comparing him to these players, but it's the it's something that the best midfielders in the world speak about. I mean, there's that famous famous interview with Xavi where he talks about the best thing he's ever done, and he just said his game is all about finding space, and that's what Bentaleb does well. Um, and he he finds himself in these these pockets where he can shift the ball quickly, and and he often he often picks the right pass, the most effective pass. Rather than the most uh, eye-catching one, or, or you know, the one that's going to get him the most plaudits, it's the one that's best for the team. And I think the the thing that's I'd I'd highlight about Bentaleb as well, the thing that's grown him up awfully quickly, is how well he's been handled at international level by Algeria, because I think it's a, a juxtaposition um, in almost every sense of how the young English lads are handled by our international um, our international setup. Because he's not been paraded by the Algerians as some sort of second coming. There's not really, you know, when you when you see them playing the African Cup of Nations, there's no cutting away to him, or there's no um, there's no added sort of incentive in sort of a um, in sort of a, a rhetoric building way. What they give him from the very first moment is they give him a lot of responsibility in a footballing sense, and what that helps him do is to grow within his side. And if you're playing in international tournaments, as he's done twice now, in the World Cup and in the African Cup of Nations, and as a as an integral part of his squad, it just teaches him his role and it teaches him what he's got to do a lot better than it would do if he was English and he was sat on the bench and giving interviews for no reason and doing all this sort of business. He's he's a lot better handled and a lot better prepared for becoming a long-term professional footballer and a long-term international footballer than he would be if he was part of our setup, which is a lot more flash in the pan. So and the marriage of those two things, the fact that he, he's so, uh, uh, so well-equipped to learn from management, he's obviously a very passionate person whenever you see him on the pitch and celebrating and, and uh, the stories you hear of him like, you know, reading about getting to Wembley from his hotel in, in um, the Equatorial Guinea and things like That's that. That's a lovely so, thing to read, that. That was great. So yeah. he's obviously, yeah, he's, he's obviously got a lot, about him, he's obviously a lovely person. Um, if you see him on Twitter as well, he um, he often jokes about his level of English with with other young lads that have been in the Tottenham setup. I think it's Kevin Stewart, the one he speaks to the most. They've obviously got a good relationship, and he's just he he seems like he's the one who can kick on because he's in the right place in his mind. That's no that's not you know downer to Mason or, or Kane, who were both going to be fantastic players. I think Mason out of the three of them perhaps will be the most... I can almost see him see his career projection in a very similar sort of way to Scott Parker's, to be honest, because he's got that same sort of um, energy about his performances. He's got that same sort of injury record as well. Um, and he made his career progresses and his perhaps his attacking goes and his um, and his legs go a bit more. He may drop deeper and deeper as, as Parker did when he got to West Ham. So it's... Um, it's an interesting one for the three of them, but I would, I would agree that that Bentaleb is the best best prospect, and and Kane's going to be fantastic. But I think, in a similar way to when you you're comparing, perhaps Modric and Bale, um, there's going to be a bit more 
bit more nuance and a bit more to appreciate from a technical level with Bentaleb than they maybe with Kane. I realise we've we've probably gone on quite quite yeah at length for for this section, but it, you know we've just beaten Arsenal at home and the North London derby so convincingly. If 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 you're going to moan about how long we're talking about this, then don't listen. Uh, yeah, you uh, wait till the League Cup final. <laughs> precisely, <laughs> four hours that, special. <laughs> exactly that that autopsy. Wow. Um, <laughs> If we, if we, I think the, I know it's a bit of a grim one that wasn't it a bit of a grim yeah, example yeah, but moving moving swiftly on um, with with Bentaleb I think just one of the ways I'd like to look at it is well not really like to look at it because I'm about to start talking about his testicles but it just seems like I think one of the things that stands out for me is the fact he just he just seems to just be he just has such a pair of bollocks on him like he just he's just so self-assured for a player that young he he just he he doesn't even act like I think there's there's an element with Harry, and this isn't don't take this the wrong way or anything anyone listening but with Harry Kane it seems like it's almost like you can tell with him this is a dream come true he's he's almost like as much as he deserves to be where he is and he's obviously worked hard that there just seems to be this element of him of like wow I'm here I've arrived whereas with Bentaleb it always just seems so like yeah I'm here I know I should be. You know, and yeah, he, he, yeah. yeah, he just he he's just that lad. It's like he's so self assured. He knows he's a good player. He doesn't need to. He almost feels like he doesn't need to prove it to anyone. But he just he just goes out there and does what he does best. And he he just he just oozes class. He really does. Um, and we have picked up on the fact there are some flaws to his game, but he's so young. And these are all going to get ironed out, and to be to be operating at the at the level he is now, it's insane. Um, I think I, I don't know. I, I, you you can see him as as you've both said quite clearly being the player that does end up, if any of them do, at a Real Madrid level club. That he is going to be that big player out of this crop. Um, and if we are to jump across to Mason, just very quickly to 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 touch on him as we already have. I think the only thing I do worry about with Mason is when you look at kind of the one player we did sign, which was Deli Ali during the January window, he kind of is Mason's direct replacement. And as I think Mason brings a lot to the team. I think his, his desire, his drive is there. And yeah, him and Harry Kane and Nabil Bentaleb obviously have a strong rapport. You know, they, they've all come up through the same system together, and that is important. Um, but when you look at, like, the class of 92, there was still Nicky Butt, who had to kind of step aside. And you almost feel that Mason is that kind of edge of the equation, that he's, he's a great player and he does very, very good things for the team. Um, but he's... I don't know. For me, he's he's not in that same bracket as the other two lads, um, and I I do love his presence. I love having him in the team, and I'm not ad- an advocate at all of dropping him. Um, but you know, I just I just don't think he's he he quite has the same. He doesn't have the same. Um, it's polish again, isn't it? To yeah. use that word. It's that little element of. And I, the thing is, I, I, I like Ryan Mason. I think, and also, it's such a lovely story as well. I mean, the guy, the guy's nearly lost his career to injury by all accounts, and you know, he's he's very old to be only emerging now. Um, but there's, 
I don't know. Really. I, I think I, from looking at where Dele, I, I know nothing about Dele Alli, I'm not going to pretend to, but looking at where he's playing at the moment um, and looking at his level of experience, I wouldn't really expect him necessarily to, to be a, a, fair, a regular first-team factor next season. It wouldn't surprise me if he spent next season out on loan, for example. Um, Mason, I don't know, I'm willing to, to, to defer judgment for you know another six months or so because he's, he's done really well so far. The only the only thing you worry about with him because his distribution is very good. He's produces. Um, I, I, I love the way he bursts forward. I think he gives us that extra man um, in attack when he, when he gets beyond the midfield. Um, there's a temptation for him at the moment where his role is is obviously to press quite high up the pitch and and part of what he brings to the side is energy and is hassling and uh, getting in the faces of of, of deep lying players, deep lying opposing players. Sometimes when he does that. Enthusiasm gets the best from a little bit. Uh, I think we saw that in the first half on Saturday. He, um, he 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 had so much adrenaline and he was so pumped up that he got a little bit ragged. Um, and if he can eliminate that from the game, he's a uh, you know I, I have no problem in in you know having him and Deli Ali in a, a matured Deli Ali in the squad because you can't have enough players like that. Um, but there's just that there's just that question about how high his development ceiling is. Um, and I think it's probably a little lower than Bantlebs. Right, lads, quick fire. Five mm. words. You've ten used the word quick about 20 times in I, the past I half know. an hour. I know. <laughs> T- ten, ten words-ish. We'll go through every single player. Raj and then Seb. What? Hugh, Hugo Lloris. I don't understand what you want me to do. His, I'm just talking about his performance in the North Chad, Derby. This, just this so should have been in the running order. This should have been we, can wrap this se- <laughs> we can wrap this section up. Stop trying Hugo, to comment. No, no, I don't Hugo want to play. Hugo Stop trying I'm to just saying with... we need to move because there's so many performances we need to talk about. There's so many great players. We've already said but they're all good. Stop trying to comment with features on the fly. Shut, shut up and just, just fall in line, Baines, all right? I'm sick I of you. I refuse to participate Fucking shy, all right, mate. I refuse mate. to participate in this in this uh, unscripted part of the show. It's because you can't do it, isn't it, mate? That's why. I've got a larger vocabulary. Don't don't you. don't try and go Stuart Lee on me, mate. Like I don't do panel shows. I don't like, do just, panel just, shows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you're on one now, mate. <laughs> Best segment we've ever done. I think so. I think <laughs> so. What do you want me to do? Just I just wanted to say. Give a quick summary of Hugo Lloris. It was really how you good. felt he performed. It okay, really Seb, good. Hugo Lloris. Uh, I tell you what, the one save he made that was classic Lloris. Did very little during it's the game. Ten words. <laughs> There's such a buzzkill, Baines. I was right off further. Oh, Danny Rose. Better in second half. Nice, like that. Is, is that your uh, is that your contribution, Seb? Uh, same old, same old. A bit weak going back. Good going forward. Shit for Welbeck's goal. Well, sounds like, or, a, sounds like a, a, a sex appraisal. Does a little bit, doesn't it? Um, Learn the tone. I can't. I can't really <laughs> pick out much for Jan Vertonghen and Eric Dyer. Either of you, anything to know? Uh, Solid like, and reliable. Yeah, good yeah. distribution. Stepped high up the pitch. Enjoyed it. Carl Walker, mature, really, really pleasing. Got Ozil got nothing out of him bar the goal. Which wasn't which wasn't Carl which wasn't really as full. It's it's Jury's miski, but I Carl Walker actually yeah Carl Walker and Lamella down that right side were defensively great. I thought and that's a bit more than ten words. So, so just yeah, no, I combined two players. Up the rest of no 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 no. Had Lamella in that. I was allowed twenty. We'll 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 move Lamella to the second half. I reckon because that's, that's going to be a meatier one. Uh, Christian Eriksen. solid again uh, contributed. 
uh, did a job. Looked knackered. But played very well, but he, he looked a bit, yeah, jaded. I love him. I love Christian Eriksen. Um, let's talk about Liverpool. Your voice went a bit deep when you started talking about Eriksen. Bit sultry. <laughs> let's talk about Christian Eriksen. That's your Sol Campbell voice. <laughs> that is, it is my Sol Campbell voice. I always worry when I do my Sol Campbell voice that people are going to think I'm just making some like cheap homophobic joke. But he actually does talk like that. He he does he does he does talk quite quite like this in a kind of sultry lispy fashion. But uh, yeah, it anyway. sounds a bit like um, uh, what's his name, Chris Eubank. He sounds a bit like Chris Eubank. The lisp isn't as pronounced. Not not as pronounced as Chris he Eubank. He has that same sort of tone of voice yeah it sounds like if you put him his, his voice through a speed changer you'd have to knock it back a few pegs <laughs> uh, do you know uh, Eubank he, he drives like a, an articulated lorry around the streets of Brighton no I've heard that yeah mm. with his monocle yeah he's I've I've, we, I've met him there before and he was a he was a very 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 odd man um, but we're not here to talk about Chris Eubank we're here to talk about Liverpool and Raj Baines is going to talk to James Dutton. Welcome to the show, James Dutton. You're a, a writer, a freelance football writer, and a, a writer for the Anfield Rap, which is apparently some sort of... It's not a food substance, it's some sort of Liverpool thing, isn't it? Yeah, well, it used to be a, a song that Liverpool sang in the 80s, which John Barnes rapped on, and it's a now a reputable Liverpool-based uh, website and radio show. Is that um, is that the the FA Cup song, the one that you rapped on? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Excellent. Well, um, you're here to talk about Liverpool um, and mm-hmm. your season so far and and things like that. And from the outside looking in, um, my opinion at least, it started out fairly shit. Um, there wasn't <laughs> there wasn't a lot for you to cheer about. Yeah. Um, and then Steven Gerrard announced he was retiring, and, and things seemed to get a lot better from then on. Is is that a is that an accurate? <laughs> an accurate graph of how your season's gone so far? Yeah, I think it's probably a, that's probably a rough estimation. It's probably quite accurate, yeah. Um, I'd put, I think the Gerard thing's been a sideshow, but I mean, I, I put it down to uh, the change in formation that happens uh, after going out of the Champions League and um, playing three at the back. and it's just, it's just meant that Liverpool... Play with a lot more freedom than they were in the season. It was very, it was as you said, it, it was shit. Um, it was very miserable. It was, it was kind of, kind of like the, the bad days under under Hodgson and Dalglish to a certain extent early in the season. It was just lifeless football, boring, predictable. Um, but it's not quite at last year's level yet. But it's going in the right direction now. I think. If we if we rewind it all the way to the summer. Um, and have a look at the the context of the, the bad start. You sold Suarez, which on a PR level is probably the best thing possible for the club. Um, on a footballing level, uh, as 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 you know, as hasty as I am, not to give him too much praise, he was uh, he was somewhat effective. I think you could say <laughs> <laughs> in the league. I mean, he's no Harry Kane, but he was doing all right for himself, I suppose. Um, and you got you got an awful lot of money for him. Um, which was uh, quite good, given on 
what he'd done in the World Cup, and then you you essentially did what Tottenham had done, even though there's that famous soundbite of Brendan Rodgers saying, if yeah. you spend £100 million, you expect to be challenging for the title. Yeah. You essentially did what Tottenham did, but even worse than what Tottenham did, um, and spread your money and tried to reinvest one player's worth into a squad, um, and that didn't go so well at first, which is, of course, a similar trajectory as to what we... We experienced as well, um, but Hod, uh, not Hodgson, sorry, <laughs> Rogers manages to ride that storm out and um, you've come up better from it. But do you think at the start of the season you were... You were- Hold up, what was that? Boring, no flavour. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact. You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Agreed that he was going to get sacked. Do you think that the signings weren't? the best that you could have made? Yeah, there was definitely a period um, where it just felt irretrievable for him. I mean, there was a period after the Crystal Palace defeat in November and then um, it was going out the Champions League. There was the 3-0 defeat at Old Trafford and then that was followed by a trip to Bournemouth and a game against Arsenal, which it it really did feel like if he... It it could get a lot worse for him. Um, But... Obviously, it didn't. I think, obviously, I've spoken about the, the formation change, which has been key to it, but also the fact that those summer signings are starting to show their value, um, no more so than, than, than Lazar Markovic and Emre Chan, who, um, you know, were part of this this transfer this, this transfer strategy, which was basically to make Liverpool really good in 2016, but ride that out in 2014 and 2015. I think I think we'll look back in a couple of years and say that Liverpool actually had a good tra- good summer transfer window, but in the, the initial effects of it were that the players brought in were too young and, and, and too uh, too too many rough diamonds for them to make an immediate impact. But you're seeing it now with Markovic and Chan; those two have have slotted into positions that they they didn't come to Liverpool as as as, as a right sided centre back and, and as a right wing back as they're playing at the moment, and yet they're they're fulfilling those roles brilliantly. Chan's become a fantastic centre-back all of a sudden, and, and Lazar Markovic looks like he was born to maraud the right right wing-back position. So, I, you know, it goes to show that that, that Rodgers hasn't lost what made, what made Liverpool so good last season, which was his ability to to be an innovator off the off the field, um, you know, on the training on the training grounds. And I think what you're seeing, what you've seen the last month, is Rodgers returning to that principle rather than what was happening in the start of the season, which was just sort of plodding along game by game and just effectively trying to 
make 45 minutes go by without anything happening and then try and nick something in the second half, which I'm, I'm sure you'd agree is not a long-term recipe for success. Yeah. The, your summer <laughs> transfer window sort of reminded me of that old saying, um, a camel is a horse designed by committee. And you've got this, <laughs> you've got this, famous, uh, this famous transfer committee that nobody quite knows who goes into that and yeah. what exactly is decided, whether or not it's just a tombola at the side of the training complex and you've got names and you're picking them out of a hat. But... <laughs> Of the six people you signed, I think it's probably about a 50% hit rate because Lovren, uh, Lambert and Balotelli haven't been as good as you perhaps had wanted them to be. Uh, Lambert, you you even tried to to get rid of him on transfer deadline day, didn't you? Which is quite disastrous. I remember you you did similar with Robbie Keane when you tried to sell him back to us. Uh, Lovren's been a... He's quite hilarious disa- about at the back. A disaster, absolute disaster. Would, is he probably a worse signing than Balotelli? Yeah, definitely, I think, because he came in as a replacement for a left-sided centre-back he'd been bought the previous summer and it's been far, far worse, whereas Balotelli was never brought to be the main man of the strike force. He was there to supplement um, storage and complement him. Um, I think... I think if you look at what the worst thing about the transfers was not the young players signed, but the established players signed. Took a long time to jet, to bed in. Lovren hasn't bedded in, and I think that's going to. I think they're going to sell him off in the summer because he can't even get a game against Bolton in last week. You know, I think he's as good as gone at the moment. Um, you know, he's 24. He should have come in and been a been a real good player straight away. Uh, Balotelli is a similar age and he has he, he should have been able to come in and do things straight away. And Adam Lallana should have been as well. He he kind of he missed pre season, he was injured and he's struggling to sort of get a rhythm of games together. Um so I think, you know, I don't blame them for going the for the young players, but it's the fact that the established ones that they went for haven't worked at all meant that we had that couple of months where it was everything was was looking pretty pretty poor. I remember at the start of the season, the last time we actually played was probably one of your best performances of the season. Yeah. Um, Tottenham didn't actually turn up that day. We were at the very beginning of what Pochettino has been turning us into slowly across the course of the season. Yeah. And you, you, you essentially caught us cold and played as close to what you did last season as, as I think you have this year. I think it's probably one of your standout results. Um, yeah. But given that and given the, the signings that came in at the summer, how is your... How's your perception and how's your your ambition for this season changed? Did you think it was going to be another solid top four year for you now, or did you think it was going to be a bit of a struggle? I did. I did think it would be a top four finish this season. Um, I didn't. I don't think many Liverpool fans envisaged it to be so bad at the start of the season. Um, I think. I think no one envisaged Daniel Sturridge being injured for five months, and no one envisaged that the club wouldn't sign another striker who at least fitted the, the system that, that Rodgers wants to play, um, which which meant that the last couple of months, Balotelli and Lambert have, have been useless in that system. Um, so because because of that, um, yeah, obviously it changes. I always I always wanted, or I was always vocal in the fact that Rodgers should have tried to target a trophy this, this season. I think he's a young manager who hasn't won a major trophy yet. Um, and... I think it would be good for him to get that winning, that winning mentality. That you know, that first trophy. You know, it's massive for a manager. It's massive for a young squad as well. I mean, the average age of this Liverpool team is you know young twenties, and to win a trophy would be a big, 
a big step for them. Obviously, Europa League brings Champions League football, so I think probably say that would be um, the priority in terms of the cups. But you know, the last month or so, they've Liverpool have shown a lot of form, which you know, in the top three form form guide in, in the whole league, along with the Spurs and Southampton in the last five or six games. So I don't think Liverpool can give up on the top four yet either. It's from what it was in in midwinter, which where from you know full of despair. There's actually a lot of opportunity now, and I think that's quite exciting that that actually something might be something might be taken from the season which wasn't a couple of months ago. Did you lose any faith in Brendan Rodgers, and have you have you regained any of that? Is he? Do you think he's as good a manager as he was last season, or have you still got a similar sort of thought about how he's doing at the club? Um, I think I, I did momentarily lose faith because he just he was um, he was making mind-bogglingly stupid decisions or, or not making any decisions. He was, you know, in, he was basically t- trying the same thing over and over and expecting different results. Which, you know, I believe there's a famous Albert Einstein quote about that. Um, yeah, it was, you know, he was playing the four-two-three-one, which didn't suit anyone. Um, it didn't suit Balotelli, it didn't suit Serling, it didn't suit Coutinho, it didn't suit Gerrard, you know. Um, and he, he was just very slow, methodical, and it was just nowhere near what Liverpool were playing last season, which was that intense pressing game and and, and movement and, and, and pace in, in the final third. And so, I, you know, I did for, for, for a couple of weeks think that it looked irretrievable for him because he just seemed to have... He just seemed to have been overtaken, worrying about what other people were thinking of him and not not backing himself. Uh, but he's done that in the last month, and um, I think reservations possibly still remain. Although, you know, it was, it was always said that he couldn't organise a defence, and yet Liverpool have now gone 980 minutes, nine games in all competitions, without conceding a goal from open play, and they were four clean four clean sheets in the Premier League in a row. So he's clearly doing something right there which he hasn't got the credit for in the last in the last month or so um he still can be a bit too clever for his own good but then again what manager isn't i think when he's mad when he's backing himself he's he's at his most dangerous i mean if we try and separate the manager from the man because i think as a manager there's a lot of redeeming qualities about him his his tactical work is is very impressive the, the way in which he treats younger players and, and seems to get the best out of them and, and help players become better in themselves is obviously a a great trait to have as a, a top-flight manager. But as a man, um, as you well know, I, I can't help but think he's um, anything more than a sort of... <laughs> sort of I, don't, I don't mean to be too strong here, but I think he is a bit of an abhorrent cunt most of the time. <laughs> he's Some of the things he says, uh, the way in which he handles himself... Uh, you know, a very egotistical nature. Uh, he's very snidey when he comes across. He seems like quite a slimy bloke. He, he doesn't seem likeable whatsoever. Um, yeah. And I don't think I'm alone in saying that. I don't think this is my own personal vendetta. I think this is something that quite a lot of people share about him. I mean, as I say, this is not him as a manager. This is merely him as a man. Um, but is that something you'd share? Is there, is there a pocket of Liverpool fans that d- don't like him as a, as a man? Do they not like the fact that he's representing the club? Uh, there's definitely a pocket of fans who don't like him. There's, there's a, a lot of fans who 
possibly see him because he replaced Dalgleish and they want him to fail because of that. Um, and also, who just dislike his rhetoric and just just like the fact that he so, that he comes across as so clever and yet can look so foolish, so foolish and foolish as well, as well. Type of people at clubs, and I'm sure there are some at Spurs who dislike Pochettino as much as you guys love him. I assume, um, but I mean, one of my favourite uh, Rogers anecdotes, and it's you know it's got nothing to do with his whole the whole David Brentisms that everyone goes on about on the internet. But um, he was he was on the Anfield Rap podcast a couple of years ago when the Liverpool were off on tour in Australia. And they do an opening question, and they ask the opening question was, "What is the what's your favourite first song? Or what's your what's the first song on your favourite album?" And so they go around the room, and then it comes to Brendan, and his answer was, "Somewhere Only We Know" by Keen. And I find that to be the most instructive way to look at Brendan Rodgers. Yeah, I think <laughs> I remember you telling me that his favourite band were Keen previously, <laughs> and uh, I was uh, I was a shock then, and I am now to hear that anecdote, but. Um... I think that probably gives you a, a summing up of them on the fact that you can I really allow, allow Keen to be your favourite band. That's quite quite disastrous, really. Um, and he, if he, we, does have, he does he does have a portrait of himself in his in his uh, in his hallway at home. So yeah. oh, he does. But well, that was on that awful documentary that you being, had on the start. Being yeah. yeah. You you mentioned then that some fans want him to fail because he replaced Dalgleish. That seems quite mental to me because um, Dalgleish at the end of his reign at, at Liverpool, again not to be too disrespectful, but he he was a bumbling old fool. He he, yeah. he he was so far removed from the modern game. He was he wasn't doing well whatsoever. He was taking the club yes. backwards. Uh, how can how can fans? Obviously, there's a, a passionate limit to that. I mean, we've had Glenn Hoddle manage our club and he's he's known as God by some of the older fans that, that got to see him play and I mean if you, even if you pull up a, a, a clip of him on YouTube you can see why he's absolutely class but as a manager at Spurs he, he perhaps didn't do as well as he could have done and that was that was never hidden from at least but there were still people pandering for him to come back to the club so do you think it is that same sort of messiah complex in the mould of sort of Keegan at Newcastle? I think, I think you're underestimating Kenny Dalglish by comparing him perhaps to, to Glenn Hoddle. I think you're, mis- I think you're uh, underestimating Glenn Hoddle. <laughs> I mean, what I would say is I, I, I agree the end of Dalglish's reign was, was abysmal. Liverpool were terrible for a couple of months. The, you know, it was as low it was as low in those last couple of months with Dalglish as it was under Hodgson. And let me tell you, those were some depths that I never want to return to in football. But... Um, because of who the man is, because he's he's um, he is he is the he's the the king Kenny, you know, he's he's a legend on the cop. But he's not, he's not not just a footballer, but um, as the man he the man he was, you know, the way he he handled Hillsborough and the way he took everything that happened at Hillsborough on his on his back almost. You know, he went to every single funeral, ninety six funerals he went to. I think that just. That in it, that is what he means to Liverpool Football Club, and that's what he is to Liverpool Football Club. He's he's that embodiment of of that spirit, um, and he just you know he is. If there's anyone who is a symbol of Liverpool Football Club, it, it is Kenny Dalglish. And the fact that so many people were just despondent, the fact that no matter how bad it was under Dalglish, um, just the fact that he was treat you know he was sacked by the club, you know the a lot of people who said, you know, there should never be a sentence which says Liverpool Football Club have sacked Kenny Dalglish because 
It's just an unappreciation of what he means to that football club. That is, I think, where they're coming from. But from my point of view, as, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a 23-year-old Liverpool fan, I wasn't alive when Liverpool last won the league. Um, I remember, I know, I, I recognise how, how good he Douglas was a footballer and what he means to the club, but as a, as a manager, yeah, he was um, he was a bit of a dinosaur at that time, and I think Liverpool did make a tough decision, but one which needed to be made by FSG in, in getting rid of him. If we talk about another dinosaur in the modern game and move on to Steven Gerrard, uh, a man that you <laughs> a man that you once famously compared to Stephen Hawking post motor neuron disease. Which again, I was baffled by when you brought this up. Um, just to give that some context, um, it wasn't some awful hate crime on your behalf. We, on another podcast we appeared on together, I, I asked you around the time of the Globe, Golden Globes, I believe, to the panel, um, if you were to place one fo- one person from the world of football inside a film to play a role, who would it be and why? Um, there was just you know your your normal ones. Um, and you you compared Stephen Gerrard to Stephen Hawking um, in some very strange manner, um, which again just uh, sort of, sort of highlighted how his career's gone. The fact that you <laughs> compared his later years at Liverpool to a man who is permanently contained to a wheelchair. So, uh, how do you find his his? I, I think I called it a retirement earlier, but he, he's not really. He's going to play in America. <laughs> Um, which probably is about the same, to be honest. That's why Frank Lampard's yeah. trying to hold it off for as long as possible. <laughs> how, how do you think his his retirement? I said, I'm just going to keep using retirement, to be honest. How do you think that's been <laughs> handled? Um, how do you think do you know that the press have have obviously said all the the good things there are to say? People on the internet have said all the bad things there are to say. Um, <laughs> the truth is probably as it always is, somewhere in the middle. Um, do you think this is the the right time for him to be leaving the club? Do you think it might be a, a season or two late, even? Uh, yeah, it, it is completely the right time. Um, I mean, when it was announced, it there was a sort of tinge of of, of regret and sadness at what well, yeah, has it come to this? He should be ending his career at Liverpool. But I mean, I don't know how much you've seen of him play recently, but he stinks the place out at the moment. He's awful. He's just not got. He's just not got the body for it anymore. And the way that Liverpool play or want to play, the pressing, the pace, the movement, just the intense speed at which they play, he is just so slow. He's so behind it. He's clogging things up. He can't cope. And he remains Liverpool's best best finisher and Liverpool's best set piece taker, and possibly the best inspiration in the team. But he just can't contribute. Uh, for ninety minutes, for ninety minutes, or even sixty minutes, he's just, you know, he's, he's just blowing air all the time. He's just, he's tired, and I think it is the right time for him to go. Unfortunately, because, yeah, he's, it's not there for him anymore. And um, I think, I don't think he would have, you know, he, he couldn't have left last season after going so close. He would have, although possibly people will think now, thinking, you know, well, he probably should have gone last season because this season he's looked so much worse. But he was, that was never going to happen. And he did retire from England to try and prolong his Liverpool career. But something just seems to have dropped off a cliff in him, whether it's just he's just gone one, it's just gone past it, just that little bit past the cliff. And he's starting just to roll down and down a very steep incline. And... Yeah, it is basically retirement in America because it will be just be just be a slow pace of the game, and he'll be able to 
he'll be able to manage that and uh, he'll probably score some, some good goals over there and spray some passes into the crowd. If we, uh, if we look forward to the game that we're going to be playing this uh, midweek, uh, forgive me if I'm wrong, but the, the Liverpool team, you'll be 3-4-3, three, three, uh, Mignolet in goal, back three of Chan, Skirtle, Sacco, and then you'll have Markovic, Henderson, Gerrard, Moreno, and then Sterling, Sturridge and Coutinho as a front three. Is that about right? I think so. I'm not sure. I mean, the, the injury to Lucas is a, is is a big uh, is a big problem right now for Liverpool. Um, that might result in a formation change. Uh, I, I, I just, dear God, hope that Gerard doesn't play uh, in a defensive role alongside Henderson. That would just be crazy, and would just play right into Tottenham's hands. Um, I'd, I'd I'd imagine Jordan Ibe might get another game. He did did. Um, did have a good game against Everton at the weekend. Um, is it, it Ibe or Ibe? Because I've always thought when I read Ibe. it, I thought it was Ibe. No, it's Ibe. A lot of people think it's eBay and Ibe, yeah. But no, it's it's Ibe. Sorry right. to burst that bubble. All right. Well, um, <laughs> and could, Storage could start. I don't know. He's not started since he's come back yet. I imagine he probably it's, would start. I mean, we've, we've pointedly not spoken about your version of a derby this past weekend because I don't think there is anything to talk about there, quite frankly. That was a an awful exhibition of football from both sides. Um well, the highlight for me was seeing uh, was seeing Aaron Lennon come on. But um <laughs> where, what do you think Everton Everton came not to get beat, you know, that's their fault playing at home. They should have gone for it. What do you think um is is Tottenham's weaknesses then that, that Liverpool can exploit and adversely do you think there's anything that, that you're worried about from from playing Tottenham? Well I mean yeah, obviously probably worried about Harry Kane, I guess. Uh, he's been quite good, hasn't he? Um I think I think the main the main worry, as I said, is is Lucas not being there. I think Liverpool haven't lost when Lucas has been on the pitch uh or hasn't when he's when he started again Liverpool haven't lost since September. Uh, he started all the games since about mid November, so that shows you what what an impact he's had on on the team and uh Spurs' weaknesses. I'm not sure. I don't even know. I don't even know what team you're going to play. To be honest, if you play Paulinho, he's a weakness. Uh, so I hope you play him and um, Harry. You know, I think that's quite Capu. kind on Paulinho. To be honest, Capu's a weakness, isn't he? They won't play. Um, yeah, the the side cool. will most likely. Yeah, the side will most likely <laughs> be the, the side that played against um, against Arsenal. To be honest, I can't see any. Okay. Any changes? There, there may be Chadley for Dembele, but Dembele has been very good recently in that more advanced role. Um, yeah. So it's it's going to be interesting. I, I can. Yeah. It's either going to be quite drab and be very low scoring, or it's going to be like that game we had at Anfield when AVB was in charge. I think it finished three two to you, uh, and we. That was the, of course, the last time Spurs scored against Liverpool. Yeah, the two Vertonghen goals, I think it was, and we. Um, we yep. we we just completely crumbled in that game. We should have won that one quite comfortably. Um, yeah, yeah. And Liverpool have scored fourteen times without the prize since then. So I, uh, well, it is to more of the same. Yeah, we we don't we don't dwell on that too much. If, <laughs> if, I, if I was uh, if I was to push you for a uh, a score prediction, um, I think what this game. I think I'll go answer this in, in a certain way. What this game reminds me of is a game between Liverpool and Tottenham in January 2010. I don't know if you remember this one, which is a very similar set of circumstances where Spurs were 
Spurs and Liverpool were both in the race for the top four, and Spurs were about four or five points ahead of Liverpool at the time. And Liverpool, Spurs came to Anfield uh, and did eventually finish fourth that season. It must be, it should be said. Um, and you know, we're a team on top, and Liverpool just found something within themselves to win two 0 And it feels like it's going to be that kind of night. That game was in midweek as well, under the under the floodlights. Um, I do think it will be a Liverpool win. Um, although Spurs have got a lot more resilience since they last played Liverpool. I think we've seen that in all the late wins and etc. this season. Um, but I, I do think Liverpool might have a bit too much for them. I do think the, the pace that Liverpool possess will trouble Tottenham uh, to an extent. What would you score line? If I uh, score line, I want I want actual numbers. Okay, two 0 because Liverpool don't concede goals anymore. <laughs> okay, um, thanks very much for your time, then, James. Thank you very much, Mr. James Dutton. Um, seemed like a seemed like a very nice lad, Raj. Um, I've 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 got a slightly bad feeling about Liverpool. Um, I I just think they're a team. I, I said it previously. They're, they're a team that's they, they've got they've got the rub of the grain against us recently, and I think they they've got a few pacey players that can kind of get at us. And I think while we're riding this wave of North London euphoria. I, I think we're almost there for the taking a bit. I think it's almost probably a blessing in disguise that Gerard might be dropped for this game too. Um, I'm. I'll, I'll probably put my neck out and say I think we're going to lose maybe two or three one. I don't know. How, how do you feel, Seb? Can lose by five, mate. We won the derby. It's fine. <laughs> no, I, I, you know what? I, I have that same feeling any time we go to Anfield. I just, um, you know how there are just some grounds you're not quite comfortable going yeah. to. Yeah. Um, St. James's Park's another. St. James's Park's another. West Bromwich Albion is one, although we've got a, a good record there recently. I always felt a bit odd. Portsmouth used to be one. Um, but Anfield, I, I'd, I'd have felt happy if we were going there six weeks ago because they were not playing well at all and they, they just they didn't have Sturridge, who not obviously not quite match fit, but he's still hell of a lot better than anything else they've got. Um, and yeah, I, 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 but I mean what I say, though, I, 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 you know, I never want to see the team lose. But if you give me a choice of, of winning on Saturday and losing at Anfield, to take it every day of the week, just because you know that's my analysis. Yeah, I'd go. That's that. all, I've, all I've got. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, uh, you know, fucking, we, we, we're going to be there or thereabouts with them. Probably. Oh, I think the you know what I season, think. I, so. I think I, I, we're capable of winning that. We've yeah. got the players to go and win there. Whether that's a sort of an emotional come down from the weekend, I don't know, but. You know, there's, there's absolutely no reason why we can't go there, and um, you know they're, they're not they're not what they were last season. There's nothing, absolutely nothing to fear from that team at all. I um, take a score draw though all oh, day yeah. long. Oh, of course, a score draw all day long. That was, that's my prediction. Score draw. Yeah. Come over there, yeah. that's a brilliant result. Right, uh, we we touched on him briefly on the first half, um, and we didn't talk about it because I, I felt like it was probably worthwhile dedicating a bit more time to the lad. Because as ever, he is polarising opinion. Um, Eric Lamella, I'm I'm still of the opinion that he is he's a an exceptionally talented footballer. Uh, in the North London derby, I think he was let down slightly by some of his passes, which I generally think are kind of just under hit. That it's like it's it's a, it's a it's a skill that he can just work on and quite easily and remedy it in no time at all 
Um, and I think the things that let him down are very minor, and people seem to want to jump on it. But I mean, I'm I'm still of the opinion that he brings a lot more to the team than he takes away, even though people are reticent to to really take that on. I think his his vision, number one. And just his determination and his desire to win the ball back are, are in the in the final third and in the opposition half are just they, they're two fantastic attributes to have. Um, I mean, I'll let you guys take it away from there because I'm sure you you'd be able to provide a much better footballing type response to it. But I still am at a loss to see why so many people have such a visceral hatred of him, other than the fact he's a foreigner. Yeah, to just throw it out there. I know. I think it, they were expecting a ready-made replacement, especially with the the YouTube highlights reels of what he was playing like in Serie A, and the amount of money that was spent on him. Because I think it was probably double the amount we'd we'd previously spent on a player up until that point, um, Soldado not included. Um, so it's you know it's <clears throat> it's one of those where perhaps the the reality and the expectation weren't at the same level. Um, he's very young. His first season was pretty much a write-off through many different um, aspects. You know, the fact that the club was a mess uh, infrastructurally, the fact that he physically was a mess, um, culturally was out of place, and it took him a long time to, to sort of bed in. It was, it was almost as if because he'd come via Italy and he'd had that culture change once already, another one so soon after... It was almost as if it was, it was almost worse than buying him straight from South America because he'd already reacclimatized once. He was having to do it again um, and learn a different language as well because he, he he'd probably spent time, you know, getting used to the way of life in Italy before moving over here. So it's um, it's a big ask for him. Um, I think this season has been extremely promising. He's he is frustrating. There are parts of his game which aren't quite there yet, which obviously are frustrating when you watch them. You, you bring up his passing and things that on the weekend were letting him down. Um, the, the thing that I take heart from them is the fact that he's still attempting to do them. The thing, the the fact that he's still working hard to get himself in the right position. The fact that he's he's obviously buying into the team ethos. The fact that his mentality. His marrying with what it should be means that there is no excuse for him to, in time, reach his potential and become better. If his attitude stank and his attitude was exactly. perhaps more, more Ravel Morrison or more John Bostock, then you would you would take umbrage with his performances a lot more. But because he's obviously trying hard, he's obviously impressing on the, the training field to get played because... Pochettino's not the manager to to just be playing somebody for the the hope of them performing. We've we've spoken previously about him sacking off Southampton's record signing and, and Gaston Ramirez because he didn't think he'd he'd work for him. And he's he's again another uh, South American young player. Um, so there's no no favourites with him. Um, Lamella, I think will will take time. There are he's been a lot better this season than he had been uh, previously, which isn't hard, but. I take a lot of heart from what I've seen from him. I think he he has the potential to be the player that that people expect him to be. They just have to have to be a bit patient. To be honest, I mean, the previous best players at the club, the likes of Bale and Modric, had to be waited on a tiny bit for them to to really um, to really take off. Modric didn't hit the ground running. He, he spent those 
almost the first half of the season, uh, playing as a, as a left wing playmaker, yep. almost in a in a similar way to what Eriksson is uh, when he's when he's forced out that side. And um, Bale was, as, as we all know, he was he was cursed and and almost loaned out and all those famous things. So it's it's not strange for somebody to take a little bit of time to to catch on. So um, I think it's a bit it's a bit soon for people to be writing him off. I think it's just the uh, the, the instant gratification way that, that football is run nowadays that, you know, when you buy someone on FIFA and they've got their stats as they are, you expect them to to be the person you've bought and that's not the way it works in real life. I think I, I, can, I can kind of concede that maybe, you know, even I, I still think he, he has a positive contribution to the team. I can concede that maybe it's not going to happen for Roberto Soldado, for example, that it maybe isn't going to happen for Paulinho. But for me, a player like Lamella, he still strikes me as the type of player that in a year, in a year's time, we can very conceivably be laughing and saying, haha, remember when people doubted Lamella? Remember when people thought that he wasn't? And this isn't to say he's definitely going to yeah, hit the kind of like Ericsson, Harry Kane kind of performance level that they 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 are both achieving consistently at the moment. But I still think Lamella very very much has that in him to to be that player that makes a lot of people eat their words on Twitter. Personally, I don't. Well, how how do you feel about him, Seb? I, I know you you've been very supportive of him in the past, but are you are you still riding that wave? Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree absolutely with both of you. I, I if there was a, a situation where his inclusion in the team, I mean, I, I got a little bit of abuse for this earlier in the season by saying that no, um, my my philosophy is play him as much as possible because that's the only way he's going to improve. You, you have to expose someone to a Premier League environment to make them a Premier League player. And people mistook that for that, you know, we'll play him to the detriment of the team. And I don't think there's, I don't think that's really an argument because if he was someone that had to be carried and if he was someone that, you know, that, that contributed nothing when he didn't have the ball, then maybe, you know, that, that, that maybe that becomes, you know, a, a kind of a self defeating philosophy. But he works, his work for, for, for a, a so called luxury player, someone who, whose value is determined by his ability on the ball. He's one of the hardest working players I've seen. Yeah. We saw it on the weekend, and we've seen it many, many times before this season, that he is relentless with his pressing work. And if you take his £33 million fee out of it, if you take his YouTube highlights out of it, and you look at what he contributes within a Pochettino system as a wide forward, he's a perfect match. And if you, if you, say, if you separate his game into departments and you say to yourself, if anyone disputes that 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 pressing thing or his defensive contribution, go back to the games and watch it um, and see for yourself. If you separate him into departments, you say, "All right, I'm happy with the defensive side of what he does." And if you if you're content to allow him to be a cohesive part of what the team does without the ball, then where is the the harm in giving him the latitude to grow as an attacking player? Because you know you, you say with the dime jack on WhatsApp, his his vision is outstanding and it really is and you know there's there's a moment uh, on Saturday where we were breaking out of our own half and you just love it to touch around the corner to Debele to uh, to break and it was just every every it's it's subtle and it can be you know it can be seen as a slightly um contrived thing to say from a, a Lamella apologist like myself but every game you see another moment like that and this isn't this isn't like exponential improvements this is sort of 
tiny, tiny little moves forward. Um, and he is undoubtedly a stronger player than he was, a more confident player. Yeah. A, um, he's releasing the ball more quick, uh, more quickly when he's in possession. He's not, you know, every now and again, he, you know, does one too many step overs. But he's no longer doing that thing where he gets the ball, he slows it down, he drags it across his feet, and then he loses possession. That's almost out of his game. And I think if that's the improvement in six months, take it six months further down the line, like you say, take it a year on, and you're looking at a very, very good player. More importantly, you're looking at a very tactically, um, uh, a, a very uh, tactically, uh, what's the right word for it? Um, just tactically relevant to what Tottenham are trying to do. And, yeah. It, it, it just, it, you know, I just think it's, it is so massively influenced by the fact he did cost us so much. Yeah. And I, it's just, it, it, and you, you can understand why people would, would reduce it to that level, but it's just, it's pointless. You know, that, that money is spent, it's gone. If we were to put him up for sale now, we're not going to get anywhere near £30 million. Pounds. We're not, you know, it's just, it's, a, it, it's simple. We won't get that. So, what, what's what's the argument? You know, who who do we who do we put in there instead of him? Because for me, in that position, there's no one I would rather have He's playing in that position. Precisely, That's and I mean the best option. I think if you're going to cut a player like, and I understand there is, you know, there are different emotional attachments to Ryan Mason than there are with Eric Lamella. But at the same time, if you're going to forgive Ryan Mason for his shortcomings and realise at the moment, what he's contributing to the team and the potential he possesses and what he can you know, give to the team if we give him time and we are patient with him, then you need to extend the same courtesy to Eric Lamella as well. Because for me, their positives are, are very similar. But I, I feel that... And I feel that, that they're both let down by similar things. Um, that they're, they're, perhaps their passing is quite wayward at times and... You know, maybe they both dwell on the ball and spurn certain opportunities, but at the same time, they both have a positive contribution to the team. And I just feel that Eric Lamella has the capacity to go further than a player like Ryan Mason does. Yeah, um, yeah you know, and, sorry, Derek, just yeah, no, go for what you're saying there is that one of the things that I've enjoyed most about this season is the unity of it all. Yeah. You, there's none of that rubbish from last season where it was just infighting and misery and show. It was misery. It's horrible. And I just, was... I just don't understand why. I was saying to you guys before we started recording. I, I've heard bits from today about, you know, people. I, I'm, I'm all for analysis, and um, you know, I'm all for, um, you know, the um, making the game an intelligent discussion. But what I don't like is when people try and you know, point fingers at players who've been an, an active part of a successful derby performance. It drives me crazy. You're just missing the point. You know, Eric Lamella was a, performed, wasn't the best player on the pitch. I don't think anyone's going to argue that. But, you know, enjoy what this season is and enjoy what this team is because more than anything else, it is a team. Yeah. We don't have the most talented players. We don't have the biggest squad. We have a group of players who've got balls and who are winning games and winning games in really fun ways. And Lamella is part of that. And it's, it's I'm not to preach or anything like that but it's time to drop the the petty like just the, the sniping um he's a Tottenham player he's a very talented Tottenham player and he could be a very very important Tottenham player over the next couple of years and it's um god I sound like I'm on a soapbox stop me guys just talk across me stop <laughs> I, I don't think we can say much further than that 
I was, I was ranting. I, 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 I was, that was an angry monologue. That's the kind of thing we're trying to avoid. <laughs> oh, have, you, have, you, have you and Raj been talking about me behind my back? No. Uh, 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 trying, to avoid, trying to avoid the angry monologues. That's my, that's my USP there, so yeah, you're, you're mugging off there, mate. Um, I think we'll cut it there, lads. So, We've got if, yeah, I think so. Um, so all all that's left to say is if you if you have enjoyed, we we were asked to talk about The Walking Dead, but I, I haven't seen it yet, and I, I don't know if you have, Raj, have you? No, not yet. No, not yet. <laughs> There's no television on at the moment. None of none of the big shows. Nothing's on. There's no Bake Off. There's no Bake Off. When Game of Thrones starts again, that's when we can. Looking that's when we can game. get it again. One of um, one of the suits is back on. Better Call Saul just started. Oh, has it? Yeah, I want to watch oh, okay, that. Okay, all right, there um, we go. Stalker's quite good. Sounds a bit um, weird. It's a bit basic, but it's got Maggie Q in, and I quite fancy. Maggie Q is very attractive. All right, Dapper. Yeah. Where's your Where's your turtleneck, Dapper? <laughs> <laughs> no, and I said she was very pretty. I didn't say anything untoward. Oh, right. Seb agreed with I me. Mean, we, we did it in nice, gentlemanly terms as well. It wasn't mm-hmm. sort of we weren't leery or you know. No, I don't watch it because I, I, I am attracted to her. You're protesting too much now, guys. Yeah, right. you've, got, you've got old Daniel O'Leary now. Yeah. <laughs> Is that that for yeah, yeah. 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 That's <laughs> uh, very clever. That was my smartest moment of the night. I enjoyed that. I like that. That was very good. Yeah. I don't like being the ball yeah. of jokes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, you, uh, no, I'm not going to do that. It's going to make me sound like a geek. No, no, no. Go ahead. We've Rob's got a tardis on his desk. Come on. All right. Okay. So, um, uh, I was I was telling Jack earlier. Actually, um, I watched a um a documentary on iPlayer on the raising of the Mary Rose. Um, and if you haven't seen it, it's like I'm, I, most people know the Mary Rose story, but just in terms of a um a study of underwater un- underwater archaeology, it's it's quite amazing and. It's um, recommended, so that should still be on iPlayer. But that's just—it's a—it's a great hour and a half of TV, really is. Brilliant! I look forward to that. Is that BBC Four? Uh, yeah, all three, one of the two. But what's, it's, uh, it's, what's the Mary Rose? The um, the. It's a Tudor boat, isn't it? It is. Yeah. I can't believe you did that. Yeah. <laughs> Um, isn't, also, it, isn't it in Portsmouth now? Haven't, haven't they picked it up? Yeah, the water, they, they, they found it in the seventies, and they basically they they dug underneath it, floated it up, um, and raised it to the surface. Uh, but they they also recovered all these artifacts, like old cannonballs and like sort of um, Tudor age medicine cabinets and stuff. And it's 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 really interesting. Also, Bitter Lake. That's yeah. a very good one on the, on, on the BBC iPlayer at the moment. You should watch. The documentary, very acerbic. It's talking about essentially why the world is monumentally fucked right now, um, and probably will be forever. So just watch it. Sort of like the USA, the Saudis, lots of backhand deals. Who controls what? It's very interesting. But it's it's Adam Curtis who's like this visionary kind of documentary maker who he's almost like a kind of visual artist in a way. This sounds really pretentious, but bear with me. Like he, he's pretty much built up this documentary um, by having a clear kind of narrative line, but building up the visual aspect just by scouring hours and hours and hours of BBC archive footage. Um, So he hasn't gone out and filmed anything new or unique to make this documentary. Um, He's just gone out and he's, you know, when, say, 
they've been following certain elements of the the British army, for example, behind enemy lines in the Helmand province, somewhere like that. He, he's he's picked out these little moments where you've got like soldiers feeding squirrels or this kind of I don't know it's, it's it's really hard to explain and make it sound profound but when you see it in context of the documentary it's it's just magnificent it's absolutely fantastic so bitter like it's about two hours long it's not that heavy to digest it's very interesting it's terrifying it's powerful it's brilliant give it a watch yeah the other great bit of TV this week was. Um... Well, actually, it's from a hangover of last week. Was uh, Galloway on Question Time, which is uh, I haven't was seen that, actually. I haven't seen oh, that. Uh, from around forty minutes in, when uh, when they start asking him about uh, the Middle East and uh, Zionism and and uh, the Jewish state, okay, it is yeah. it is pantomime at its very finest. Um, it's it, it was reminiscent of the time they allowed Nick Griffin on uh, on <laughs> Question Time. Oh, God. It was it was genuinely it's it's cracking TV. I mean, the the political content is obviously the political t- content that's always on Question Time. Um, but uh, the um, just the the shouting and you know the way he is the the way he speaks and the fact that he is a, a fantastic talker no matter no matter what he's saying yeah. he's, he 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 always puts himself across fantastically well um there's that other thing if you ever have time on youtube it's always worth watching him um at the us grand jury yeah, um, after the uh, after the uh, iraq war because uh, they ask him several questions because I, I don't know if you remember but they i think it was a, the the times found um documents uh, in Iraq that um, may have uh, that had his name on it essentially and, and looked to point towards him being in the pay of Saddam Hussein after he famously went on television and, and supported him and because um, he, he, they had no jurisdiction to actually force him to go towards the grand jury in America he, he handed himself in to go and speak to them and uh, proceeded to just uh, ignore every question they asked him and just um, sit there and uh, and rant against uh, what they'd done previously. And uh, whether or not you agree with him or not is, is one thing, but the uh, the entertainment factor is uh, is another, and he's, uh, he's an interesting character, in, to say the very least. I was going to say, in juxtaposition to that, if uh, if you're YouTubing George Galloway, also have a look at him acting like a pussycat in Celebrity Big Brother. No, <laughs> don't look at that. That's one of the worst <laughs> things I've ever seen on television. It's one of the most sexually awkward, repressed, it's weird horror things ever. I, I, I imagine Seb's tried that in the bedroom before now. That was an unnecessary thing to bring into the podcast. <laughs> do, do you act like an owl? Yeah. In the, uh, I love that thing hoot. you tweeted earlier, the, the owl feeling lessons or whatever yeah. it was what was feel, it feel an hour feel an owl for an hour for 17 pound <laughs> you, you're going cheap nowadays yeah and i i trying to kill off the, the thing is is that you you, you know you, one day you, you start a website that has that in its name and the next day forever more you're, you're above every owl joke that has ever existed no I, I swear when i'm when i moved into the into the, the flat i'm in now I um no about three different people gave me owl themed paraphernalia. So I, <laughs> every cushion I've got on both my sofas has some kind of owl. There's a wooden owl on my desk. There's this glass owl on one of the tables. I need to get out and kill this thing off. 
It sounds like a sitcom episode where, like, um, if I was writing it, I'd, like, send you on a date with a lass and, like, you'd be talking about what you do and, oh, I run this Premier League Hour website. Um, you, you, you manage somehow to take her back to yours and she walks in and then just plastered everywhere inside this house, <laughs> head to toe in, in owl paraphernalia, and she thinks you're some sort of strange, fetishised owl person. I usually just have people... People tweet me pictures of people that have tattooed their nether regions to look like an elephant, if you imagine, like a, the male anatomy. Um, Which we're yeah. all imagining now. That's lovely. So you, you yeah. ask for people to send you <laughs> No, no, I don't ask. I'm just saying that's generally like my pseudonym has resulted in that. And also people oh, right. just saying, why do you call yourself to trunk? Which... I'll never reveal. So, the, um, one of my what? There's an actual reason for it. There is a reason why. No, I'm, 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 I'm never going to reveal it. Huh? Will you tell us off air? Yeah, I might do. The um, actually, what generally one of my Twitter followers, uh, his girlfriend has my um, my website's logo tattooed on the back of her neck. Really? Yeah, he sent me a photo of it. Not because she's a huge fan of my writing. But, um, I was going to say, she loves the yeah, articles. I was going to say, your friend's going to... How does he react to that, Sam? I know, he seems oddly proud of it. Which, you know, good for you. It's a nice That's the sort of thing you should exploit in a kind of dapper-ass kind of way, you know? Hey, Get my own ITV show. Your bird's got my... I don't know, whatever. I had to think that one through uh, before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, don't, I don't want to... You don't want to delve that. too far into that one, you know? No. You, know you know what football Twitter's like? Ready to rain. I've got a dapper-ass joke in my head. Go on. But I, uh, I'm, I'm not going to share it. Okay. Um, I've got, I've got, like briefly, I've got a bit of a public service announcement. I, um, I went out. This is something you should never do. Okay, I went out for my run this morning when it was still dark, and my local streets aren't that well lit. And I was running along, and um, and I tripped over. Uh, this must be about six thirty in the morning, so not really a particularly good way to wake up. And I tripped over because some bastard was charging his electric car with a cable from his living room window across the road and into, uh, you know how they look like, they have a little plug socket, and essentially created a, a trip wire across the pavement. That's something you should never, ever do. That, that's a kind of, that's a... I'll tell you what you do, Seb. Tomorrow morning when you head out for your run, go the same way, but take a pair of scissors with you, cut it, and then just carry on your run, and you'll be done. No, I'm never going that route again, mate. People might have seen me fall over this morning. Yeah, right. And it wasn't it wasn't a stumble either. It was a um it was a it was a spill. Mate, you should just buy a Land Rover from the nineteen eighties and just drive into an electric car. Then to fuck off head and then throw a Jeremy Clarkson joke book and D V D at his head. There you go. What kind of person does that when they line it up at, at night and thinking scumbag going right across the pavement thinking, Oh, that won't be a problem. A kale smoothie drinking scumbag. That's so <laughs> fine. Awful. Right, let's uh, let's wrap this one up because it's been about four hours again. Um, if you do want to listen to any of our self-indulgent, elongated <laughs> podcasts of yesterday, um, yesteryear, yesterday, I don't know what I'm talking about. I've had too much scotch. Um, then you can do so on iTunes and on SpursStatman.com where there's like a an integrated player and you can load up all the websites at your leisure um, there's also plenty more to read do and see at SpursStatman.com are we still looking for an admin assistant there Raj? We are we, we found a podcast one in Seb to do our um, to do our, a, yeah, our housekeeping here Shots but we need fine. one for the website as well it's, it's, it's the price I pay for being able to talk I have to do the running order every week so 
It's worth it. I enjoy it. As well as uh, the naked selfies. Yeah. Yeah. We, we again, we decided not to talk about that on a. You know, that's just for the WhatsApp group. <laughs> um. So yeah, if you are, if you do have a, a you know, uh, an interest in getting involved in kind of web editorial or website maintenance, so on and so forth, drop, uh, drop us a line. If you've ever dreamt of being told what to do by me, then please do feel free to join in. He's a pushover, really. Don't don't yeah. listen to don't listen to him, really. Um, yeah, but yeah, give us give us a tweet. To, well, tweet Baines at Baines X I I I um, or Spurs Statman. Um, and yeah, just register an interest. You can follow us at RTRSSM. We generally tweet out in name shite. We did a, I did a little comparison matrix on there today. Not that I'm getting knee jerk or anything of Harry Kane compared to some of Europe's apparently leading strikers. So go have a little look at that uh, once you finish listening to this, and I think you'll be, I think you'll be a bit surprised. Um, I don't think there's much more to say other than come on, you Spurs. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started 